This is Science Friday. I'm Roxanne Kamsey. Since the very beginning of research about autistic people, neurotypical scientists have been at the helm. Because of that, plus the invisibility of autistic adults in our society, a big chunk of the research has neglected the needs of autistic people. Sometimes it's gone beyond that and even been hurtful and harmful to the very people it aims to help. Until just recently, there have been very few openly autistic researchers who are studying autism. But there's a growing group of autistic researchers who are bringing both their expertise and their own lived experiences to help shape the future of autism research. Here to tell us more are my guests. Dr. T.C. Waisman, a leadership coach and researcher studying autism in higher education based in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Patrick Dwyer, who is a PhD candidate studying sensory processing and attention in autism at the University of California, Davis. Welcome, both of you, to Science Friday. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us, yes. So, Patrick, what have neurotypical researchers historically focused on when it comes to autism research? Some people have been doing more basic uh, biomedical type research, looking at the genetics of autism, looking at animal models, doing various kinds of neuroscience work. It's been neglecting a lot of the most important barriers that we actually face. A lot of the challenges that are faced by autistic people, including those with high support needs, actually have to do with societal discrimination, with a lack of availability of supports, with a lack of inclusiveness, with stigma, all of these things. Um, they're very important to all autistic people, regardless of ability, and that was being completely missed. Meanwhile, some of the efforts to promote cure um, were actually, and still are, harmful by you know, telling people that there's something wrong with them, by trying to force compliance. So yes, I would say that definitely our field has a legacy of harm that is unfortunately, very serious. TC, what, what do you see as the, the biggest problems in autism research right now? Yeah, I totally agree with what Patrick's saying. And to build on that, you know, we, our research typically and historically hasn't necessarily focused on creating better outcomes for autistic individuals in terms of our health, our education, our livelihood, our well-being. So unfortunately, that's translated to an emphasis on deficit perspectives in autism and looking at our lack of abilities rather than strengths, talents, et cetera. And it's also privileged non-autistic perspectives, research focused on mainly white male representations of autism. So those generalizations still exist either in plain or subtle ways um, today regarding what autism looks like in a person and how it's accepted societally. Also, uh, you know, people like me were missing in research, people from different cultural backgrounds, people from different ages, um, and that kind of thing as well. So a few years ago, the two of you co-founded the Autistic Researchers Committee, which is under the International Society for Autism Research, known also as INSAR. What inspired you to do that? TC, do you want to start? For me, I just didn't see myself. I didn't hear my voice in autism research. Um, and because I was late diagnosed at 48 years old, it was really frustrating for me that the research sort of uh, seemed kind of siloed in a lot of ways. Um, and so for me, this was an act of resistance and an act of act activism, bringing uh, autistic voices to, to decision-making uh, processes within INSAR. And INSAR was ready for it, and INSAR was uh, in agreement that this was needed. One of the goals that um, we had was really to try and uh, promote 
um, networking among autistic researchers help our community sort of come together uh, a little, as well as to make the INSAR conference itself more accessible for autistic researchers, just because, you know, there's just a lot of barriers, a lot of uh, things that that unfortunately make it quite difficult for autistic people to attend research conferences. And TC, you mentioned that you were diagnosed with autism at, at age 48. Can you tell us a little bit more about your research and how you got into it? Uh, when, when I was diagnosed at 48, by the way, it was one month prior to starting my doctoral degree. So I knew very little about autism and so I changed my research focus and, uh, you know, focused really on, you know, how the heck did I get here? How, how am I autistic and in the education system? And I'm this old and this is happening and I'm not getting the supports I need. And, you know, I've fallen through the cracks. So my research really focused on that, how higher education um, leaders, faculty and staff can enhance services and outcomes for autistic individuals and neurodivergent individuals um, at the post-secondary level. Patrick? Do you have a, a reason that you got inspired to study autism? Yeah, so because I'm a privileged white male, um, at least in, in part, uh, I got diagnosed earlier than TC. I was 11, so, but it was still late enough that it answered a lot of questions. I knew I was different from other people. I was looking around for an explanation on autism, provided that, and it connected me to a community of people. And over the years after being diagnosed, I was able to see just how many challenges uh, our community is facing, just how marginalized we are, just how much people are struggling with mental health, with employment, uh, with just trying to exist in the world. And so, of course, I wanted to do something to see if, you know, we could break some of these barriers. And your research, I think, also focuses on sensory processing is that right how would you explain that to somebody who's not familiar with what that means well that too you know comes directly from my own experiences i was struggling a lot with sensory overloads uh, especially when i was younger in the school system where there's just so much sensory stimulation it's it's hard to describe though because it's so variable depending on you know the specific autistic person and the context that they're in and what sort of sensory stimuli they're exposed to Sometimes, you know, it's that people have a, a real aversion to particular textures, um, scratchy fabrics, um, tastes and food can be a huge thing. And if we can't get some of the foods that we can actually tolerate, that can be a big problem. Um, but then there's also the auditory aspects where you can just be distressed and completely overwhelmed if there's too much auditory stimulation. But then there's also particular sounds that can be really aggravating and annoying, or if, even if they're not overwhelming or quiet sounds, they can be really distracting and make it impossible to focus. And it's all, you know, very contextual. It depends on uh, attention, I think. It depends on one's mood and mental state. And it's something that unfortunately is very difficult for other people to understand because it's perhaps a bit outside their experience. And because it's hard to understand, because it's so very variable from context to context, you know, often people can doubt that it's real. And I got a lot of that was younger people thinking that I was making some of it up or trying to rationalize, you know, well, this environment is noisier than that environment, but Patrick's fine in that noisy environment, but not this somewhat quieter one, what's going on there. And there's still a lot of things that we don't fully understand about sensory processing and autism. 
Do you find that there's a disconnect between what neurotypical researchers more often focus on versus what autistic communities want out of research? And I don't want to generalize about neurotypical researchers and neurodivergent researchers' priorities, but I can tell you that coming from a particular community informs me in a different way about the priorities from within that community. So, for example, I'm Black, Indigenous, Pacifica, South Asian, and I'm autistic. And so my lived experiences, um, you know, I don't get to put those down. I don't get to forget about it. The world treats me in a certain way every moment, every time I walk out the door. So when you come from inside that experience, there are subtle pieces of knowledge, there are questions, dreams, concerns that are relevant to us that wouldn't even land on the radar of someone who comes from outside of the experience. For example, for me, the barriers that existed to getting a diagnosis, you know, the cultural nuances that make it difficult to see us as autistic, the biases, um, you know, I was looked at as having behavioral issues rather than being autistic. And we're talking about a community, an autistic community that is as deep as all the cultures in the world, as wide as the spectrum range of expressions of autism, as vast as the kinds of intersections, you know, that include age, co-occurring disabilities. So our research priorities from within the communities are already plentiful. And, you know, here we are in all our intersectional glory to represent ourselves fully in autism research. Absolutely. Yes, yes. If you look at the distribution of where autism research money is going, uh, you know, it's to things like neuroscience, understanding the causes and etiology of autism and doing surveillance to figure out how many autistic people there are. And really, it's only a very small pittance that is going to these very important priorities that TC is saying. And I'm not saying that the things that I was naming before are valueless, but there's clearly a difference in the priorities. And so I see that we tend to gravitate towards much more applied research that focusing you know, on society and societal barriers to a much greater extent than research that's focused on on like cure type things, obviously. Um, you know, research that's exploring identity and intersectional identity and all of those is barriers and challenges and discrimination. There's there's um, research looking at the accessibility of different systems. There, you know, I think it is it is quite quite different on average. Um, what the and your autistic autism researcher would most likely be studying versus a neurotypical autism researcher. TC, I was actually curious if I could follow up and ask you what you think the reason is that more funding isn't going to research led by autistic people. Well, I think things are changing, and this is the wonderful thing that's happening. You know, uh, things are changing in funding. Uh, for example, the Autistic Research is a Review Board, which I was a part of and Patrick is a part of, you know, so we're we're part of that sort of being able to review uh, research that's coming out and ensuring that there are certain, you know, aspects of the research that are that are being upheld that are more respectful to us, such as participatory research. And, you know, it's partly being driven by social aspects of our disability community, pushing for more respect, pushing for more understanding, pushing for our voices to be included, to be heard, to be a part of the true collaboration throughout the research process from research question all the way to findings uh, in a real true participatory manner. Like TC, I'm optimistic about the direction we're, we're heading in. I, I just wanted to add, though, that it can be a bit slow to get there because new things take time and people are frightened of them and people, you know, will do the kind of research that they're trained to do. So there's it takes it takes time. People's opinions are shifting. The attitudes are shifting. As TC says, what we're starting to prioritize is, is starting to shift, but there's still a lot of more work that needs to be done uh, in that 
direction. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. I'm talking with two researchers who study autism, Dr. T.C. Weisman and Patrick Dwyer. I'm curious to ask you both what you think autistic researchers bring to the field of autism research that a neurotypical research might not. I think we bring our whole selves. We bring our lived and intersectional experiences. And that's often missed in research all the way from inquiry to findings. You know, that our tapestry of understanding, we really are... Uh, you know, we're removing the one dimensionality of research. A lot of research is siloed and focused on one aspect of, uh, of an autistic trait or uh, of autism. And we're much richer than that. You know, we're intersectional with our co-occurring disabilities. We're intersectional with our cultural aspects and, you know, all of the nuances in between. So we are, you know, we bring insight and awareness and knowledge um, and sometimes even, you know, a desire for practical solutions to problems that most non-autistic researchers are not even aware we need. So, you know, this perspective, I think, is really key. Patrick, there is this idea that people who are autistic shouldn't be included in research on autism because they can't study it objectively. How would you respond to that? I completely disagree with it. Why would neurotypicals be objective and autistic people uniquely biased? Yes, being autistic informs um, the perspective that we bring to our work. And it does so in ways that I think TC just very eloquently articulated are often very positive. But being non-autistic and looking from the outside at autism does not make one objective. It just means that one is differently biased and one is biased to value neurotypical norms and perhaps to not understand the sorts of challenges uh, that we experience from the perspective that we have uh, looking, you know, from our own experiences outwards. It's just a different positionality. You know, would you think that uh, if we, we should say that, you know, gender studies should only be done by men because women would be biased when it comes to, to gender because they, that's a more marginalized gender. Of course, it's, it's ridiculous. So we need people, you know, coming from all sorts of different perspectives, especially those of those who have been marginalized and left out. Yeah, I mean, Patrick said so, so eloquently as well about, you know, you know, can you imagine this being studied from the outside? For me, as a Black person, for example, can you imagine there'd be research on Black people without collaboration, without, you know, understanding the culture, you know, without in- inclusion, without true participatory inclusion in that? You know, when, when the question comes up about whether we're biased, when we're othering our people, our autistic people anyway, from the perspective of outside of it, that in itself is a bias. And Patrick clearly defined that. And your research for your PhD focused on how higher education could be more supportive of autistic students. So what do you see as some of the big barriers to being an autistic person in higher education? Yeah, so in my experience, by far from me personally, the biggest barrier uh, is the lack of education about autism in, you know, in the universities and colleges, you know, everywhere from disability services to faculty, staff, students and leaders. So for me, that's my personal experience. And we would like to see that there's recognition that neurodiversity be included in DEI. It's a DEI plus issue, you know, um, so uh, diversity, equity, and inclusivity. You know, that we make sure that our voices are included in the decision-making and policies uh, and changes that happen, uh, you know, when we're talking about accommodations. 
that we establish disability cultural centers, you know, for institutional initiatives to promote neurodiversity and disability inclusion and acceptance. So to wrap up and just look to the future of autism research, what does that look like to you? TC, do you want to start? Yeah, I really hope autism research continues to evolve, that we continue to center intersectional autistic voices in meaningful ways, that participatory research becomes, you know, almost old hat because it's, you know, considered sort of the new standard, um, that we include cultural lenses in our research, that we value the priorities of older autistic people, and that research becomes nuanced enough to include autistics who have other co-occurring disabilities that inevitably impact the research findings in ways that are not neat and tidy, but are also necessary to know. Yeah, having more community partnership, especially with autistic voices, but really bringing people, uh, all stakeholders together, including uh, parents and professionals as relevant, and letting people set what the research agenda should be to a much greater extent, I think will address a lot of the issues that we're seeing right now. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Indeed. Dr. T.C. Waisman is a leadership coach and researcher studying autism and higher education based in Vancouver, British Columbia. And Patrick Dwyer is a PhD student studying developmental psychology at the University of California, Davis. We want to say a special thanks to Ira Kramer for consulting on this story.